the old pilot's plain tales. The short life of Nierja Banot. Every week or so, we hear yet another story about a flight attendant being screamed at by an angry passenger. Just a day or two ago, I read about an educated lady, a lawyer, sitting in business class, who is now facing a jail sentence for being drunk on an airliner, swearing at, racially abusing, and then assaulting members of the cabin crew by beating them. Her behaviour was appalling, and it's ironic, considering the tale I'm about to tell you, that the crew she abused were from the Indian subcontinent. Nija Banot was a beautiful young lady, beautiful in looks and spirit. She was a model, attractive enough to truly stand out from the crowd. Brought up in Mumbai by a typical Punjabi family, her father was a well-known journalist and her mother a homemaker who looked after her husband and her four children. Rama Banot described of hearing of Nija's birth. Nirja was the fruit of our long prayers for a daughter, he said. It was September the 7th, 1963, at Chandigarh, where I was posted at the time. The maternity ward matron rang up to inform me that we had been blessed with a baby girl. I was very happy to hear this and gave her a double thanks. Nirja was taught in Chandigarh Sacred Heart School until the family moved to Mumbai where she graduated from St. Xavier's College. Her father went on, Nirja was a no-nonsense girl right from the start. Her family name was Lado, meaning God-gifted, full of mirth, pleasure and loving happiness. A school friend recalled, she was a loyal friend, even if we had a disagreement, she would always be the first one to reach out. And one of her older brothers said of her, Nisha was always a brave and tough woman. Even as a kid, she was the strongest of all three of my siblings. At a slim and graceful five foot nine and with a confident smile, Nisha started modelling, initially appearing in advertisements, but then featuring on the covers of magazines like Manorama. With her career in full swing, she accepted an arranged marriage, but after only a few months it came to an ugly end and she returned to Mumbai to take up a new modelling contract. Keen to make something of her life, Nisha saw an advertisement for one of the world's most glamorous jobs. Pan American Airlines was in full swing and probably the world's most prestigious airline. It absolutely defined the jet set, boasting an amazing list of exotic and glitzy and cosmopolitan destinations. Mixing with Hollywood's elite of actors, actresses, singers, politicians and world leaders to get a job with them was a dream that many young women had, but it was rarely fulfilled. Their ranks of stewardesses, as they were termed back in the 80s, were filled by girls from good upbringing, nurses, models, actresses, and even a few exotic bluebell girls. Pan Am had decided to fly from Frankfurt to its Indian destinations and were recruiting all Indian crews to serve the passengers. 
Without thinking she stood much chance, Nezha applied along with many thousands of others, but she was singled out and became one of only 80 applicants that were accepted. Pan Am sent her to the United States for her training, where she learned the skills that made the airline famous. She was taught deportment and geography, makeup and manners, silver service and leg crossing. The company had exacting standards and expected their crew to be able to prepare seven courses of French cuisine from scratch. They served dishes such as lobster, beluga caviar and fillet of beef cooked to taste. They used silver cutlery, fine china and poured the best wines into crystal glasses. The crew had to wear their uniforms to perfection and learn to perform the clipper-dipper, a signature move to lower themselves and pour wine instead of leaning over, which was considered uncouth. This was, of course, on top of the safety and security training that they received. The company saw something special in Nezha, and she completed the course with top marks, graduating as a purser, someone in charge of the crew. Life couldn't be better for this lovely young lady. She was flying around the world as a glamorous stewardess and modelling in her spare time. She was barely 23. In the 70s, hijacking was becoming an international scourge. After the almost amusing classic Take Me to Cuba hijacks of the 60s, terrorists, particularly those from the Middle East, were realising just how much publicity and how many concessions they could generate for their cause by taking control of a large airliner. Often incidents ended peacefully and the crews were briefed to cooperate and negotiate to try to ensure their passengers' safety. However, governments became less and less likely to accede to demands and, as often as not, their special forces would storm an aircraft with the aim of shooting the hijackers dead. By and large, this tactic was successful, but the hijackers were learning what might happen should they not force their aircraft to land in a friendly nation. It was Thursday the 2nd of September, and Nezha had yet another prestigious modelling assignment. She reported for the photo shoot at 9am and returned home some 11 hours later. The hard day did not tell on her, though. She bounced about, saying that she had had the most satisfying shooting day ever with director Aisha Sayane, who she described as a highly talented professional. She had a light dinner and went to sleep after telling her mother to wake her up 90 minutes before the pick-up call from Pan Am at 1.15 in the morning. When her mother woke her up early in the morning, she washed and they chatted about her upcoming 24th birthday. Dressed and looking very elegant in her Pan Am uniform, she left for the airport. Nisha was operating Pan Am Flight 73 from Bombay, as it was then known, to New York with stops in Karachi, Pakistan, and Frankfurt, West Germany. The first leg of the journey went well, with Nezha operating as the senior purser in charge of the entire cabin crew of 16 on the Boeing 747-100 series, the pride of the Pan Am fleet. After their early morning departure from Bombay, they landed in Karachi just before 5am to restock and refuel the aircraft. 109 passengers disembarked and buses were loading the new passengers on board when two men 
dressed in the sky-blue uniforms of the Pakistani airport security force, drove up to the aircraft in a van fitted with a siren and flashing lights. They rushed up the aircraft steps, firing shots into the air, and were joined by others sprinting across the ramp, who shot and killed two Kuwaiti airline staff working there on a nearby aircraft. As they entered the Pan Am 747, they fired at the feet of the attendants there and forced them to shut the doors. Nirja, realising the seriousness of the situation, managed to get the hijacked code word passed to the flight deck, as the terrorists stormed aboard with hand grenades, assault rifles, pistols and plastic explosives. In the cockpit, the two pilots and flight engineer did what their company instructions required of them. They needed to escape the aircraft so that it would be grounded in Karachi, so they climbed up through the hatch in the ceiling, used the inertia reel escape ropes to lower themselves down the outside of the aircraft to the apron, and ran to safety. Nirja was now the most senior crew member on board with nearly 400 passengers and crew in her care, but she stood with a hijacker's gun to her head. The hijackers were part of the Abu Naidal organization, a Palestinian terrorist group backed by Libya and were targeting Americans and American assets. Having seized control of the aircraft, the leader, Safarini, grabbed a stewardess nicknamed Sunshine and forced her to lead the way to the flight deck in search of the pilots. When they entered the cockpit, Sunshine could see the open hatch, but she said nothing in case the flight crew were still making their escape. Using Nirja to communicate, the terrorists demanded pilots to fly the aircraft to Cyprus, where they intended to order the release of Palestinian prisoners held there. She spoke to the Pan Am Pakistan director, Firaf Daruga, who stood on the apron with a megaphone, well within firing distance of the hijackers. The terrorists demanded that pilots be bought to fly the aircraft, and they were told that pilots were being sought. The minutes slowly passed, and then Safarini lost patience. He acted in the most vicious way imaginable, grabbing a 29-year-old American passenger, Rajesh Kumar, making him kneel in the doorway. The innocent man was then brutally shot in the head and kicked out of the aircraft to lie in a crumpled heap on the concrete twenty feet below. The hours passed, then, threatening to murder more hostages should their demands not be met, the terrorists instructed Nirja to collect the passports of all the passengers so that they could identify the other Americans on board. She and the other cabin attendants under her charge collected the documents, but then, at the risk of deadly retribution, they hid the passports of the remaining 43 Americans on board, under seats, in their clothes, and down a rubbish chute, so that the hijackers could not identify them. A British man, Mike Thexton, was dragged out instead, and made to kneel with his hands on his head, ready to be executed. Nirja Banat, despite her youth, kept a cool head. Even with all that was going on around her, she remained calm and in control 
asking to be allowed to look after her passengers, who had all been crammed into the rear of the aircraft, filling the aisles and galleys. She kept a smile on her face and spoke in a quiet voice to try and ease the tension and aggression she faced. However, during the stalemate, she secretly removed a page from her manual that explained all the procedures for an aircraft door and placed it inside of a magazine and then handed it to a passenger near a door. She instructed him to read the magazine and then close it up, but refer to it later if needed. This page showed him how to open the exit door and deploy the slide down to the apron. Her bravery was clear for everyone to see, but after 17 hours, the stalemate was reaching its conclusion. Outside it was getting dark, and the auxiliary power unit, which had been providing cool air and powering the lights in the aircraft, began to run short of fuel. When it started to shut down, the situation on board changed dramatically. As the aircraft lights began to fail, the hijackers assumed it was a prelude to an attack by commandos, and they tried to blow the aircraft up. One man said a prayer and then fired at his fellow hijacker to detonate the belt made of plastic explosive that he was wearing, but luckily, in the dark, he missed his mark and only a small explosion occurred. Others threw hand grenades, but again, in a stroke of good fortune, several failed to detonate and some still had their pins in. Then they began firing indiscriminately into the crowded mass of passengers. Despite being wounded early in the melee, Nirja acted swiftly. Realising that she could help her passengers to escape, she armed and then opened an emergency exit. As the slide inflated, she must have known that all she needed to do to save her life was to jump onto it and descend into the darkness. But she stayed by her door, directing the passengers out to safety instead. The terrorists were emptying their guns into the innocent hostages, trying to kill as many as they could, but then they saw Nirja relentlessly trying to help the passengers out of the aircraft. That was when Safarini caught her by the hair and shot her point-blank. She had been shielding three children from the gunfire. Other exits had been opened, and many passengers escaped out onto the aircraft's wings, jumping down in the darkness. Eventually, the gunmen ran out of ammunition, and some cabin crew, who had been on the wings, bravely returned to the carnage inside the aircraft to try and help their passengers. The two who returned found a profusely bleeding Nirja still at her post of duty. She was lucid, but had lain there for nearly fifteen minutes. They carried her to the slide and safety, to be received at the other end by another member of the crew who helped her to an ambulance, but she died before any medics could assist her. She passed away only hours from her 24th birthday.
The Pakistan Army Special Service Group eventually stormed the aircraft and seized the terrorists. Out of the 381 passengers from 14 nations, remarkably only 20 died, but over 100 were injured, some very seriously. On July 6, 1988, the five Palestinian men were convicted in Pakistan for their roles in the hijacking and sentenced to death, although their sentences were later commuted to life in prison. Now this part of the story isn't over though, as some years later it was discovered that the hijackers were no longer in prison. It seems a little unclear if they were released or escaped, but all remained free until the FBI caught up with their leader, Safarini, as he tried to take a flight from Bangkok to Jordan. After his extradition to the United States, he was convicted of 95 charges of murder, attempted murder plus many other charges, and sentenced to 160 years in jail. He remains in the Colorado Supermax prison in solitary confinement. On sentencing, Judge Sullivan told Safarini, You are a coward and cold-blooded murderer. This is better than you deserve. The remaining four men are still on the FBI's most wanted list with a $7 million reward on their heads, although one may already have been killed by a drone strike. Nirja Banat was honored around the world for her bravery as the heroine of the hijack, but no more so than in India. She became the youngest ever recipient of the Ashok Chakra Award, India's highest gallantry award for bravery during peacetime. She also received multiple posthumous awards for her courage from the United Kingdom and the United States governments, including the Department of Justice's Special Courage Award, as well as the Tamgari Pakistan from Pakistan, an award given for great human kindness. Anish Banot, Nirja's brother, later recalled a conversation between his mother and his sister. Her mother told her, if you ever find yourself in such a situation, escape, you just run away. Nirja scolded her mother, replying, Mummy, what will happen to the country if all mothers start thinking like you? I'd rather die than run. If you enjoyed listening to this story, please leave a review at Apple Podcasts. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy show. You can find us at airlinepilotguy.com.